0: jump podcast i'm your host mitchell farley wolf and i'm here as always with my forever co-host and editor-in-chief of super jump magazine james burns hey james how's it going
1: hey i'm excited to be back
0: yeah i'm excited <laughs> to be back uh, i yeah. we forgot we had a podcast for a month
1: yeah yeah we did
0: <laughs> yeah uh we'll talk more about that and our irregularity as as we get further on the show but before that, we have a lot of great stuff. Um, I played one of my new favorite games of all time since the last episode of the podcast, and James fell in love with a new old console. Also, Gamescom happened, and we have an interview with the Kremling campaigners. The Kremlin campaigners who are the people responsible, and I, I will be as bold to say as they are responsible, for getting King K. Rule in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. But first, That's... James, I'm burping a lot. James, <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this before the show started, but um, I, oh my God, I don't, I had some pizza before the show started <laughs> as uh, for dinner, and that was a bad call. <laughs> that was probably an incorrect
1: <laughs> podcasting maneuver. That's all right. We can use it to, to mark the spot between segments. That's Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I.
0: Oh man, <laughs> I hope this podcast <laughs> even works, James. It would be it would be a shame if we waited a month for this podcast, and then when we do it, it's just nothing but burp sounds. But maybe that's yeah. what like our freaky listeners are into. Who knows? Who, uh, who I mean, knows? Yeah, we'll, we'll burp our shame. way through. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's get ready for the place report. The Playtime Report is, of course, the segment of the show where we talk about what we've been playing since the last episode. And, James, why do you have all of these last-gen handheld games here <laughs> in the Playtime Report?
1: I don't know what happened, Mitchell. I, I'm i just going to call it an epiphany. Uh, somehow it happened. I all of a sudden started playing 3DS, and the really... Like the really weird and stupid thing about this is i've got like i've got two 3ds consoles and i've got a 2ds as well so i have no excuse it's not like i just went and bought a 3ds for the first time i've had these things for ages and i kind of like i kind of always played them on and off a little bit like i'd have you know, um, I'd have a few days at a time where I'd get into a game and play it. But I think the only 3DS game I really played from start to finish all the way through was Super Mario 3D Land.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, that seems to be the one people played
1: like maybe the most. Yeah. Like that was just, that was just a game that I couldn't put down. Um, but there are so many other great games on the system, and I just never really, I think I've just never really been a big handheld gamer in general. Like, I've got a PlayStation Vita as well, and I, uh, it sounds so horrible to say this, but I i mean, I've hardly played that at all. Um, I, I, I mostly wanted to buy one because I have this fear that very shortly I'm not going to be able to get a new one at all, so... I thought, now it's time to jump in and grab it, you know, just in case.
0: Do you usually play your Switch in TV mode?
1: Yeah, I reckon it it probably sits in the dock a good 80-90% of the time. Um, Same here, same here. Yeah, and and I I have come across people who play the Switch mostly in handheld mode. Like, one of my friends who just bought a Switch... um, He, when I went to his place, um, he actually had it sitting there charging, but it wasn't in the dock. It was just lying down, you know, on the entertainment unit. Um, So I know a lot of people who play it primarily as a handheld console, uh, but I've never really been into handheld consoles. I've just, I think every time I play them, I just always think about what I'm missing on a big TV. And I don't know, it, it just starts to bother me after a little while. I, uh, I have liked
0: handheld consoles, but a lot of that, a lot of that is just playing in my bed or on the couch, um, Mm. sometimes on a bus or at, like, school or something, but for me, it, it's, it, it, it's just never quite been the way I'd prefer to do it, uh, It just doesn't factor into my lifestyle very much because whenever I drive somewhere or wherever I need to go somewhere, I do drive. And, Mm. um, you know, I can't be the one driving and playing my Switch at the same time. (laughs) Uh, I I, I know for a lot of people, especially like in um, in L.A. or New York or Tokyo, where where the Switch using population is probably higher than the rest of the world. they're, They're always on the bus or on a train or something, which is great but um the like i I'm all over the highways, so I can't really do that so much. It doesn't factor into me, but you've been playing the three d s um was there a reason you got into it this time, or like what 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 triggered this
1: i I actually think part of it was and, and just it's just such a chance thing, really. I think part of it was um. I was at... We've got this big electronics chain here called JB Hi-Fi. It's kind of like your best buy. Sure. And um, I was just... I just happened to be browsing the games one day, and it just suddenly occurred to me how many of the... Like, the big flagship first-party 3DS games are so cheap now. Like, so many of them have gone into the... Um, I can't remember what it's called. It's like that... Uh, the Nintendo Selects, that, is that it? Yeah, that's the one, yes. Um, so many of them have become these Nintendo Select titles now. Um, and so I I recently picked up three games. I bought two of them at JB Hi-Fi, and one of them I ordered online because no one had it. Um, and I bought Luigi's Mansion 2 and Yoshi's New Island sixty dollars Australian, so they were thirty each, which is insanely cheap here for a new game.
0: Oh, I was um, going to say that doesn't
1: sound very good at all. <laughs> no, it's it's <laughs> to, to my to my mind, it's it's good in in Aussie dollars. It's it's pretty good um, because I mean, for comparison's sake, a new game on the Switch might cost you at a minimum, it might cost you sort of eighty nine dollars to a hundred dollars, maybe.
0: Uh, wow. In Australian yeah.
1: dollars, so I
0: keep forgetting how messed up your your gaming sales economy is over there.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's just um, it's really just the exchange rate thing, I guess. Like it's it's been normal for us for a long time, ever since I can remember, really, to pay sort of around a hundred dollars Australian for a new game. Um, so. Paying sixty for two new games is is a pretty good deal, um, and Nintendo games especially seem to be like out of any publisher, they,
2: they don't, don't lose seem their value, to
1: yeah yeah they don't go through those big price reductions um, often. Um, so, of of the ones that I bought, I've been playing Luigi's Mansion Two, which I believe is called Dark Moon in North America. Right, yeah. Uh, I've been playing that, and I've been playing A Link Between Worlds, the the 3DS Zelda title, uh, and and I'm playing them pretty religiously. So like I'm going on the longest handheld gaming streak that I've been on, I think ever.
0: That's that's uh, that's super interesting. I've always really liked A Link Between Worlds before Breath of the Wild came out. I would I would mm. swear to people. Like, hey, this might not be my favorite Zelda. I think there's a strong argument to be made that this could be like a stealth best Zelda. Um, just yes. because of how open it was and how much it let you construct your own journey. I, I, I always really liked that.
1: Yeah, my, um, my sister says, even after Breath of the Wild, she says that A Link Between Worlds is her favorite Zelda. And wow. as I've been playing through it, I'm I just can't wipe the grin off my face like it's it's just incredible. And I think it's for me, it's really tapping into something for me because I remember when my dad bought um, a link to the past home. I remember playing that as a kid for the first time and how special that felt. Um, and a link between worlds is really clever about, sort of tapping into that nostalgia because it's obviously the same world and the same map and everything but changing it enough that it's genuinely surprising right. um you don't you don't ever feel like you're retreading old ground even though you're on this same map um i, I feel a lot about uh
0: link to the uh, link between worlds as i do about the resident evil remake how they move some of the jump scares around to make it feel like a new experience, how you remember playing it the first time, even though you've already played it before, and a lot of what uh, you liked about it the first time might be taken away from a, a secondary viewing. It, it, it's like that, but to a link, uh, a link to the past, which is pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and it doesn't feel like... I think there was... Probably a risk that by revisiting that world and that particular map that's so famous, that it could have felt like a kind of borrowing from it in a really hollow sense. But it really doesn't. I think it feels additive. It really feels like they're they're genuinely adding something interesting to that world. Um, so at the moment, I'm I've gotten I've reached Low rule and I've done oh, I think I've done. Three dungeons in Low Rule now, um, so I'm making my way through.
0: You might be around halfway through the game.
1: Oh, nice, good. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be near the end. <laughs> um, I want there to be lots more to play. Um, and I'm also playing Luigi's Mansion Two, uh, which, which this one really surprised me because I, I liked Luigi's Mansion on GameCube. Um, I think that's a very very cool game but Luigi's Mansion 2 kind of shocked me a little bit in just how sort of broad and deep it is compared to the original Um, in terms of you know you're obviously now um, making your way through multiple mansions there's not just one But each mansion is like its own world or its own kind of biome and has its own theme. Um, And just the fact that there's so much more depth. So, you know, there's multiple kinds of ghosts, a lot more than the original. Um, You know, they each require specific methods to take them down. There's multiple bosses and there's a lot more environmental puzzles as well um so it it just feels like kind of a much richer and more complete game than the original
0: right yeah interesting I've um uh, I didn't love it as much as I loved the original and I really liked the original one thing I, I kind of didn't like so much it was that the uh mansions well there were multiple mansions and they were each smaller uh mm. significantly than the original Luigi's mansion uh yeah Something I really enjoy in games, and this is probably just a, a a me thing, not really saying anything about the quality of Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon, um, just exploring one big interconnected world is is always going to be more appealing to me specifically than uh, multiple smaller levels in a game. Um, yeah. So if there were a Luigi's Mansion 3 anytime soon, which maybe there will be, considering that they're remaking Luigi's Mansion 1 for 3DS right now, um, if, if they do that, I'd like to see a return to the original uh, one-mansion structure. What, what would you think about that?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I, um, I don't think I really have a preference. Um, I, my guess is that the way they did... Luigi's Mansion too. Um, so you know you, you've got the smaller mansions, but then you've also kind of got these almost like um, stages within each mansion. You know how you sort of complete a little mission or a quest, and you keep coming back to the laboratory, and you kind of uh, it's kind of much more segmented and broken up. Um, right. And I, I'm assuming that's just to cater for the fact that it's a handheld game, so you can kind of you know, jump in and complete one one or two objectives and then stop. Um, if they were to do a Luigi's Mansion three on switch, i'd I'd really want them to go all out with it in terms of making it a really big world. and um, there's a lot of clever ideas in Luigi's Mansion two that they could that they could incorporate. Um, I really hope they keep making Luigi's mansion games.
0: Yeah, I do too. Um, Luigi's Mansion is a great, great series. It, it was such a weird game when it first came out, um, especially as the, it was the mainline Nintendo launch title for the GameCube. Uh, at least it was here in North America. I don't know what the launch lineup was everywhere else, but like it, it was the title, and it was such a weird thing to yeah. say, hey, this is the thing. This is the thing our console can do. Um, but it worked it worked I, I I liked it a lot i I don't know how uh, I'm not this is one of those games that I'm actually pretty unaware of its standing within the gaming community among other people besides myself but yeah I, I really liked it uh, to me it's just one of the classics
1: yeah and it's it you're right it's sort of it's one of those games that it's almost like describing it on paper it just sounds so... Niche and odd that the thought of it being a major launch title for a Nintendo console is is just bizarre. Um, and I'm sure there are a ton of fans of it on the internet and everything, but it's not it's not really a series that I identify as having its own kind of huge fandom separate to other franchises. And yet there is something. Like, it's so unique and so specific, and it has its own kind of atmosphere and feeling. Um, I Yeah, I, I hope it doesn't stop with Luigi's Mansion too. So,
0: James, um, speaking of spooky games on Nintendo consoles um, <laughs> that are good, and th- that, those are all the synonyms, and, like, the, the only things in common these two games have, uh, so it's a bad segue... Hollow Knight. I've been playing Hollow Knight. Uh, we talked about it on the last episode and I think what I, I came up with to say on the last episode was that I wasn't ready to talk about it yet because I could tell it was something kind of special and different and I uh, I didn't have the vocabulary. I wasn't ready to, to, to weigh in on it because I wasn't very far into it. Yeah. I've since beat the game. Uh, I've 100%ed it. Wow. But then update came out uh two days ago as of recording mm-hmm. and now i've 100 minus about five percent of it so i still need to work on that it continues yeah. to give yeah this game is so good it's it's one of my new favorite games of all time it's like definitely in the top 10 this caught me by surprise so hard, James. I, I, I said this on the podcast before, but I, don't, I only bought it because it was $15 and I was getting on a plane ride. Yeah. But um, the of the two things I got for that plane ride, I got this and the Mario and Rabbids DLC, uh, mm-hmm. the Donkey Kong DLC. Mm-hmm. And I thought for sure I'd be more into, into the Donkey Kong DLC. I kind of played through that and stopped and that was fine.
1: Hollow Knight blew my mind. It blew my mind straight out of the water. <laughs> And it, I mean, I have to say, you know, for, for anyone listening, like you've got to read Mitchell's review on Super Jump Magazine because it's a really, you know, I said to you on Discord, it was a real pleasure to read. Um, and, and I think one of the reasons I enjoyed reading it was that it, it didn't, it didn't quite feel like a lot of the other reviews I've read of this game. Um you know, and video game reviews are kind of famous for their cliches. Um, and a lot of the Hollow Knight reviews were kind of full of cliches, I thought. But yours was quite unique. And I was really interested in, in reading your perspective on it. Um, Thank you. What, what do you think was the biggest surprise? I mean, outside of the game just being so good. Like, what was it about it that, that really sort of surprised you that, that you weren't expecting?
0: So I, I think one of the the biggest takeaways, and this is also something I didn't really fit into my review so much, so you can consider this Super Jump podcast exclusive content, uh, <laughs> uh, is is how different really it, it was from Super Metroid and Symphony of the Night. Because mm. so many, um, there are a lot of indie Metroidvanias right now, and I think that's just because of the timing of... You know, every like 15 to 20 years after, 15 to 25 or so years after something big happens in video games, you're probably going to see it again because the kids that grew up with it are now adults and that they're now producing their own content, right? Yeah. Um, So we're kind of in that secondary wave of Metroidvanias right now. People that uh, grew up with Super Metroid and Castlevania Symphony of the Night as like the two cornerstones of what is a classic Metroidvania game. Uh, are, are now creating axiom verge and ori in the blind forest and hollow knight and yeah. something that i i just love about hollow knight especially compared to like a game like axiom verge which is a, a great game in its own right but that game is supposed to be super metroid that is mm-hmm. like people stopped making super metroid i liked what super metroid was so i'm just going to continue that trend um mm-hmm. And that is that is cool and totally admirable, awesome if that's what your 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 goal is. Hollow Knight though is a different take on that. Hollow Knight was it it seems like they accidentally made a super uh, a, like a Metroidvania in, in a way. Like it, it if you read some of the reviews from the developer as well, it it does seem to confirm that like they were taking inspiration from Mario and Mega Man and Zelda. And, and like a bunch of different older games yeah uh, and, and definitely also super metroid uh but there's so many things in the game uh and, and and newer games too like like super meat boy and shovel Knight and um like paper mario there, there's there's so many things in hollow Knight that aren't just what metroidvanias used to be uh they they really put their own spin on it like the, the this game could easily um have a looped structure which again is not something that is bad um it it could easily say okay you explore one area of hollow nest hollow nest is the area in which the game takes place uh one full area you have the that you, you have map access to you finish the area you go to a boss you finish that boss, and that will unlock an item or ability upgrade that you can use to enter a new area. And you can rinse and repeat that five to eight times, and that can be the whole game. If it did that, it wouldn't have been a bad game. But it doesn't do that. Like It it doesn't even come close to doing that. Um, Some bosses are just kind of in the middle of nowhere. I would say about 40% of the whole map is optional. Like, the whole... 40% of the entire world in that game is optional. Um, it, it'll be really hard. It, the game will be really, really hard if you don't go to any of those optional places and kind of outfit yourself with uh, upgrades and just information about the world that you can cl- uh, collect from those areas... But but yeah, it, it's just uh, it, it's really something special. It never felt like it was slowing down into repeated content or even mm-hmm. repeated structure for content. Um, yeah. un- until I was like right about to finish the game, and then I finished the game, and it was over. Um, yeah. So that was th- that. It it's just really special, and it, it's uh, it's such an impressive thing that Team Cherry during the development of this game, uh, Team Cherry is the developers. They went from having two people at the beginning to having three people at the end, uh, and the <laughs> scope of this game does not reflect a game that was made by two to three people with help yeah. from like a few others. That it, it's it's just mind boggling to me that this ever even got made.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's really, it's really fascinating because uh, there are. There are a number of developers, um, even just here in, in Melbourne, where I live, I, I believe Team Cherry are in Adelaide. Um, there are a number of developers here in Melbourne that, that are creating um, creating content that's uh, maybe not quite as ambitious as, as Hollow Knight, but is, is, is of a similar level of impressiveness given the amount of people on the team and uh, I've seen some stuff recently that uh, that the people are working on here in the dev community and they're not at the stage of having a publisher or they, they don't know how to get these games out there um, and I'm just blown away by what they're creating and it's it's really it's really satisfying to see that team cherry was not only able to finish this game because a lot of these games end up you know, on the cutting room floor kind of thing. Um, Not only did they finish it and get it published, but it's had this incredible reception. And I I haven't seen numbers on what the sales are of it, but I assume it's selling like crazy. Um, So so they
0: crossed, um, within about two months ago, they crossed 1 million sales over one million copies sold on PC and a quarter million copies sold on Switch within just the first few weeks of the Switch launch. Uh, so by now, I, I assume they're probably well into like 1.5 million copies sold.
1: Yeah, it's just incredible. Like,
0: yeah. And you know, I feel the, bad the... because this game came out over a year ago, close to a year <laughs> and a half ago, and I just had, I just didn't, I just didn't participate in it because really i don't game on pc too much and also i kept seeing it and i kept saying yeah i'd I'd probably be into that but like i don't know zelda just came out um and and then later in the year mario just came out and then earlier this year god of war came out and like there was so little time to focus on hollow knight Mm -hmm. and not only would i say that i was wrong to think in that in that sort of way but i would also say that at this point, um, I, I would say Hollow Knight is better than some of those big names that took the spotlight, and in in some cases, just like completely rivals them. Um, pr- pretty astounding, just pretty great stuff. Um, I I heartily recommend it. But we can't just talk about Hollow Knight for the whole podcast, <laughs> um, unfortunately. Uh, that you'll have to wait for my Hollow Knight cast, uh, which will. I don't know. I make a lot of podcasts, so it's probably going (laughs) to exist. But let's dive right in to the Newsy Nibble. so gamescom happened that's like the german e3 except for some reason um i hear a lot less about it as it's happening than regular e3 probably because i usually go to e3 so maybe that again is just a me thing um but a lot of big news did come out of gamescom uh since the last episode james and i think it is as a gaming podcast it's our duty to sort that news And to decide what is the cream of the com, what is the best piece of news to come out of uh, Gamescom, or biggest piece of news, however you want to rank it, let's go through them. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. PUBG 1.0 is coming to Xbox One. Um, PC players have been playing PUBG 1.0 since December of last year, but it has not been on consoles yet. Now it finally will be on consoles. Uh, so that is the first piece of news. Do, do we want to talk about these one at a time, or should I go on to the next bit?
1: I think maybe maybe we'll summarize at the end, because I've, I've got a couple of other pieces as well that I want to add, I think.
0: Oh, okay, great. Um, so Jump Force, the Shonen Jump anime crossover fighting game, got a new fun trailer that was really exciting uh, to watch, and it also announced six new characters For the game uh the biggest there were a lot that i didn't recognize admittedly but the biggest character reveals were vegeta from dragon ball um characters and and characters from hunter hunter or which is apparently how you're supposed to pronounce the show hunter x hunter um because there's an x in there that uh if you pronounce it you're you're not a true fan of anime um This is like some secret gatekeeping stuff. And characters from Bleach uh, as uh, characters for Jump Force, uh, which uh, is cool. Those those things are very popular, and I'm sure people who are into Jump Force will like to have those characters in that game. Uh, Next. There is some sort of hint, thanks to LEGO's official Twitter account, at a LEGO crossover with Overwatch... Now, this could be uh, like an actual physical LEGO set. This might not be Mm. a game at all. Um, Alternatively, it could be a game. It could be LEGO Overwatch. Um, We don't know yet. That has not come to fruition. That's crazy. Uh, James, you want to tackle a a few more while I drink some water?
1: Yeah, um, I might actually... um... I'm going to actually throw in a couple that I wanted to add to the list. Um, okay. And the first one's going to sound a bit a little bit dry, but it's it's I think it has pretty big implications. Um, Nvidia announced a new line of RTX GPUs, which is notable because these GPUs feature, I believe, for the first time ever in a commercial GPU, they feature ray tracing technology. Um, and for the uninitiated, uh, what what this basically, what's that? Sorry. I
0: I do not know what that means. What is that?
1: Yeah. So basically what it adds is, um, ray tracing simulates the way light behaves in the real world. Uh, and it offers much more realistic reflections than have ever been possible in games before. So prior to this technology, reflections in games could only ever reflect what was already rendered or in view on the screen, but now they can reflect anything in the environment as you actually move around. So the the example that came up at Gamescom was during the, um, there are a couple of demos and one of them was Battlefield 5 with ray tracing. And the example was really cool because um, let's say you're you know, you're, you're crawling along against a wall, and the ground is wet, and there are all puddles in the ground. If an enemy is approaching from the other side of the wall, that you you wouldn't normally be able to see them, you can actually see their reflection in the water as they're approaching.
0: Interesting. Um, okay.
1: And apparently, this has never been possible before. It's never been technically possible before. Um, it's it's interesting because it is a bit of a it's been a bit of a holy grail for for a really long time in in graphics technology, and this is the very first time it's it's being introduced commercially. So, um, it will be interesting to see what impact this has on PC gaming and potentially console gaming in the future as well.
0: That that sounds like a huge big deal. I just completely missed.
1: It's it's interesting because it's uh it it adds this like really powerful new graphics technology and it's worth going on youtube and checking out like the the before and after like the with and without ray tracing and you'll really see the difference um but it it looks like it adds a fair amount of overhead to to the hardware in general so we're starting to get used to you know seeing games at 60 frames per second and we're seeing these really high performance games and this adds a lot of overhead, so it gives you these beautiful effects, but, but there are drawbacks as well for hardware and for game developers, potentially. So there's a big question around, you know, how widely this will be adopted, but it's pretty cool. Gotcha. We, so Life we is also, Strange
0: 2, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I was just going to really quickly throw in that there there wasn't much to say about it, but there was another demo behind closed doors of Cyberpunk 2077 was about a 50 minute demo, I believe. That's so long. How can they do that? (laughs) I know. And there there are a lot of descriptions online about what people saw. Um, I think the main takeaway, without going into the detail of it, the main takeaway is it's it's prompting this question even more about whether or not this is actually a current gen game uh, a lot of people now i think more and more especially after gamescom are saying this looks next gen it it doesn't yeah. look current gen yeah
0: i was reading uh I, ju- I just finished the book blood sweat and pixels by jason trier from kotaku oh yeah it, yep it's a great book and i i can just imagine all of the getting ready for the convention cycle that Cyberpunk 2077 has done is going to be something we're going to read about for 20 years. Like, they must be busting their asses off at CD Projekt Red in order to make that happen. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. A 50-minute demo? The game has to be, like, done for that to happen. And you know it's not. You know it's, like, years away still.
1: Well, I read something, and I don't know exactly what this means, but I read something about um, one of the things that came out of Gamescom was apparently, this is really like third, fourth-hand information, but apparently CD Projekt Red basically said that this game is now fully playable from beginning to end. So they've actually got like a, they've got like a, uh, how would I put it? The main spine of the game is 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 all playable, and they're basically adding flesh to the bone now. Wow. Um, so their progress is is pretty crazy, I think.
0: I am excited for that game.
1: Yeah, me I, too.
0: My whether I buy an Xbox Two or a PlayStation Five, uh, at least first might depend on how well it plays that game. Yeah, like it, yeah, it's really getting up there for me. Um, okay, so in other news, Life is Strange Two got a release date. It's uh, September twenty seventh, a month away, uh, at least for the first episode of that. And it it also showed off who is going to be who are going to be the main characters of the game. It's a pair of brothers that you see at the end of Captain Spirit, so that's how that ties in. Um, yeah, okay. People have been interested in how that tie- ties in. Uh, it it seems like it ties in just very. Um, peripherally. Like it doesn't have a huge connection there. Um, so that's interesting. It it, it brings into question why they, they did a Captain Spirit exactly like how they did. Um I think it's still just really cool that they made a whole free game to advertise another game that's coming later. But yeah. uh yeah, so that's coming out in a month. Sea of Thieves got the expansion Forsaken Shores, uh coming out way earlier than expected. Uh Which is actually... I mean, it's kind of earlier than expected, but also it's just the month that they originally said it will come out in. It's just funny because the previous... um, Or not the previous, the current expansion for Sea of Thieves is called Cursed Sails, and that's going Mm -hmm. on right now. So to go from um, one major update to the game to another huge, even bigger major update to the game only uh, like less than a month after... uh, very unexpected um it, they're they're working at what i can only imagine is a breakneck pace uh, Yeah. shenmue 3 has a release date it's august 27th okay of 2019 <laughs> which is yeah. the most far off uh release date of anything we have currently uh i have no idea how you specify a date like that so concretely a year off like anything can happen between now and then you don't know why are you saying that I'm sure there's (laughs) gonna be a delay (laughs) like
1: yeah (laughs) I know and it's so weird because like I mean I work in um I work in product management and this is like one of you know product management 101 when it comes to developing roadmaps for stuff that you're working on like it's so weird to see a date that far out but I don't know. Maybe they've just got really good project management or something, or I, I don't know what's going on there. But um, I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't seen anyone being particularly angry about it. Uh, but uh, I just, my main hope is just that it's a great experience. Like, I don't,
0: I'm not yeah, too I fussed think...
1: if they delay it. There's plenty to play in the meantime. <laughs>
0: this might be cynical, but I'm thinking that the reason people aren't completely mad about it is that it just doesn't it doesn't look very far along yet.
3: Yeah. I would
0: be more nervous about it if it was soon.
1: Yeah um, yeah
0: yeah like there there's some there's some issues with the faces in that game. Um, <laughs> the faces don't look a hundred percent there. Uh, mm. I, I hope it comes along exactly as planned in, in a year from now. I wonder if there's. I wonder if this is close to like the the world record for furthest out release date for a video game <laughs> that was still honored when it came out. Um, I, I wonder if there's been like a longer shot than this. There's definitely been games that have been announced and then came out like Duke Nukem Forever was famously 15 years after its original announcement, but um, I it never it never had like a solid release date until it was pretty close this is this is pushing it
1: yeah this really is we'll 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 wait until we get the next delay announcement anyway yeah
0: yeah yeah i I mean if they don't hit it they don't hit it but yeah uh, we'll see how that goes the spiritual follow-up to until dawn which is a collection of games called the dark pictures has been announced the first episode of which is called the man of medan uh that is coming out this um or early next year, actually, early early next year. Um, did you play Until Dawn?
1: I, I didn't, but I, I actually watched the trailer for The Dark Pictures, and it looks really cool. Um, yeah. I, I was really impressed by the, speaking of faces, the facial animation looks incredible. Um, and I like the idea of, I actually like the idea of it being a set of Sort of self contained horror stories. I think that's a bit more interesting. They can, presumably, that means they can sort of change up the setting and the characters as much as they want between episodes. Yeah. Um, Almost like a, a, you know, a Black Mirror type situation. Um, So that's cool. Oh, yeah. I
0: I think they'll they'll be completely standalone. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure, but it it seems like they want to do completely standalone um, stories
1: and I wonder if the title uh, is based at all on, I couldn't really tell from the trailer. I, I wonder if it, it's at all based on the Indonesian island of Medan. I, I only say that because I've got Indonesian friends that tell me that's a very dodgy place. So, no offense to the people of Medan, but uh, I just, when I saw the title, I thought, oh, I wonder if that's what if that's where it's set maybe that's a long shot i don't know yeah maybe um
0: in until dawn was a really fun game to play at like a party um yeah, yeah Have a lot of people just sitting around the tv trying to advise who does what and just watching everything fall to pieces when you play poorly and all of your characters <laughs> die uh so yeah. like smaller version until dawn was maybe a little too big though for that because it, it's like a it's like a six or so hour commitment to, to sit through all of until done. So maybe these will be because they're episodic smaller in scope and maybe a little more suited for for that kind of setting, like a party setting. Um, yeah,
1: that's really cool. That,
0: that that could be that could be how it is. And if, if so, that's that's really exciting. Uh, finally, NBA 2K19 has a crazy story mode with Aldous Hodge, Anthony Mackey, and Haley Joel Osment as actors and models for the characters that they actually act, they are in the game as basketball players <laughs> um, so that is a thing
1: <laughs> that's happening
0: Yeah. It, was there any more, were there any more pieces of news you had to, to add from Gamescom?
1: Um, just uh, so they, they there was also a big sort of gameplay and I think it was playable this time there was a big playable segment of Sekiro: Shadows Die, Die Twice, uh, which, again, like I'm gonna say this for everything, but please go and check that out on YouTube because it just looks unbelievable. Mm. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely not a Dark Souls or a Bloodborne, but it's got it looks like it's definitely got some of that DNA uh, in there. Was
0: there any were there any reveals for that? Was there any news, or was that just more gameplay?
1: Um, there may have been, I'm not sure. I just, I had a little look at the gameplay footage. Um, and it's definitely that little grappling hook that they revealed in the first trailer. It looks like that's something that you use frequently. Like that's, uh, that's almost your main method of kind of traversing the, the world. Um, and there's a big focus on, you know, kind of being up above your enemies and, surprising them by jumping down on them and trying to get one-hit kills um, just looks absolutely amazing. There's lots of mini-boss-type characters, and um, apparently it's even more difficult than Dark Souls, which has me thinking, how much more difficult do games need to be yeah. <laughs> before they're yeah. just total torture, you know? Um, and the only other thing was there was some... Um, gameplay of rage 2 oh, okay. and i i haven't gone into that one in detail but they did reveal a lot about the game in terms of new weapons and abilities um and there are some concepts in there that remind me a little bit of doom 2016 in terms of kind of the interplay between having a weapon and then using an ability like there's this ability where you can sort of jump in the air and pound the ground and knock all the enemies over it looks really fast paced and there's a brilliant segment in the gameplay footage of vehicular combat that looks a lot like mad max fury road in the best possible way like it has you chasing down this huge truck that's got like flags all over it you know you're there's this convoy of vehicles going down the road and you're actually shooting them and trying to take this big truck down It looks absolutely amazing. If it plays as good as it looks, it's going to be massive.
0: So, James, we're now faced with a question. What is the cream of the comm? What is the best piece of news? What's the biggest, most important thing to come out of Gamescom?
1: Well, the one I'm most excited about still is Cyberpunk 2077, um, which is difficult to say because you know like we're reading impressions and that sort of thing but we didn't we weren't actually able to see it ourselves um we (laughs) it has me thinking we need more writers in europe that can go to gamescom um but that that's the thing i'm most excited about personally but i think the piece of news that has the most like the biggest implications for the industry is is the nvidia RTX announcement. I think yeah, that you was... made
0: some you made some good arguments for that being the the cream of the crop. I'm I'm hesitant to say that because I I think while that will be the biggest news and like probably the most important, I, I don't know how excited I can be about a video card. I don't know. There, <laughs> there's got to be some sexiness factor here to the, these pieces of news. I yeah, mean, maybe you're right. And... Maybe I'm just thinking about it wrong.
1: No, no, you're not. I think. I mean, you know, technology is great, but but it's all about the game, right? So, um, they they only demoed a couple of games with with this technology. It looked really impressive in in something like Battlefield Five. I think I actually think the place where it's going to have the biggest impact, at least in the short term, is competitive shooters, because it does add this. It's sort of subtle but significant new strategic element that was not there before um and this reflection technology you know they were talking about it in terms of like water on the ground but obviously it affects any reflective surface so i think it it adds this whole new dimension particularly for competitive shooters um but outside that you know it makes everything look prettier but it it kind of remains to be seen where it goes
0: yeah yeah that's a good point um I am probably thinking about that in second place right now. I might put the dark pictures, the Until Dawn spiritual follow-up at my personal cream of the comm. But you know what, James? We can have different creams of the com, and I think that's just the kind of podcast (laughs) we are. So get excited (laughs) about
1: those pieces of news. (laughs) That's right. There's there's plenty of space for more cream of the con. It's all good.
0: (laughs) Okay, um, when I say go, you're going to hear an interview that I did um, about a week and a half ago already with the Kremlin Campaigner. They are the, the two runners of the Kremlin Campaigner Twitter handle uh, that have been campaigning for the inclusion of King K. Rule in Super Smash Bros. for three full years now. They finally got what they want. Here's what they feel about King K. Rule in Super Smash Bros. Go! Hello and welcome to the Super Jump podcast. I'm really excited to have two very special guests here today. You might know them from Twitter on the handle the Kremlin Campaigner. Please welcome Thomas and Eric. Hey guys, how you doing?
2: Thank you, Mitchell. Thank it's you good to enough. be here.
0: Yeah, sure. I, it's it's great to have you here. Uh, so first of all, congratulations are in order. You got you got K. Rool and Smash. That's amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is. If and you know, hasn't you're not really just... sunken yet. Yes, yeah, same, same Something
3: here. That uh, we said on the conversation toward the end. Um, you know, we would just be two loudmouths talking about a crocodile from a game starring a ape with a tie if it hadn't been for all the fans who filled out the ballot, who made their voices heard. So it's really you guys who we have to thank. Yeah,
2: exactly.
0: Well, it does seem. Um... Uh, I am borrowing a little bit from the conversation right here. There was a leak on on the conversation that is beginning to be picked up by different websites, uh, so I feel very comfortable picking it up as well. Um, Their contact, Dave Throat, which I happen to know is legit... um, he has said that the reason K. rules in this game is pretty much exclusively because of the fan response they got in the Smash Ballot. Which, for those of you out of the know, the Smash Ballot was a, a pull that Sakurai and the Smash team put up online near the beginning of the DLC cycle for Smash 4. It looked like it was for... Um, you know, to impact the DLC of Smash 4. But what Dave Throat was saying um, in in this leak is that it um, actually could never have impacted the DLC because they tried to be predictive with what the ballot was going to say with their um, DLC choices. And I guess that didn't work. And I guess that they are just using the ballot now, which is cool. Um, so as the largest, I, I think I can safely say this: you guys are the largest K rule official um, campaign. I, I think on the internet, you you guys are a huge part of why this happened. It seems.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. <laughs> it's really,
3: really surreal to hear anybody even say that. I mean just the gulf between being people talking about him on the internet, being called maybe a vocal minority in some circles, and then all of a sudden, wow, here he is, and he's back, and now everybody's looking at us to say, you know, thank you for bringing him back. You know, all of the kind words they mean, honestly, so much. It, it, it's just incredible.
0: Yeah, I I don't think that K. rule is a character that, would never have gotten into fan or would never have gotten in uh without the fan demand he is a legacy nintendo character in a lot of ways but he definitely would not have gotten in this time perhaps
2: without the no certainly not yeah i think i think the fan campaign certainly accelerated his inclusion i don't i mean i don't want to say that he would have never been included had it not been for the ballot but I mean, it was certainly a huge help because, as we've seen with games like Donkey Kong Country Returns and Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, there was no K. Rule in sight, and people used his absence to try to detract and say, "Well, K. Rule can't be in Smash because he's irrelevant." Right. And as we've seen, I guess relevancy is and all that matters in the eyes of Sakurai and Nintendo. If there's a demand for a character, I mean, it makes business sense to include them.
3: Sure, the important yeah. thing too is, you know, if you start from a neutral position, you know, just the character doesn't appear. Over time, the narrative is going to shift more and more in the direction of, you know, he was never that needed in the first place. He was never that great a character in the first place. And in fact, he might have been a bad character. He's Crocodile Bowser. And they just kind of threw him in there because they needed a boss in the final PKC. I think one area where we succeeded is kind of highlighting the fun aspects, maybe the unappreciated aspects of his older appearances, and also potentially how the character could stand to evolve, to be more fleshed out as a well-rounded character, literally and figuratively, if he were to start making those new appearances.
2: Exactly. I think one thing we should stress is that, you know, like they always say, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think a lot of people, including us, may have taken K. Rule for granted, and we didn't realize how great of a character he was until until he was gone.
0: Sure, yeah. I. Uh, oh, just one more part of the Dave Throat leak is that there are uh, parties in Nintendo that have wanted to use K. rule for whatever reason in whatever game, but were told they could not or they should not by some sort of Donkey Kong IP brand ambassador. Which is an interesting, like, that's a really weird concept to me, that there's some, uh, you know, Illuminati (laughs) uh, Donkey Kong (laughs) character organization within Nintendo. But it does seem that there is that. Um, and that's, I'm sure that's broken now. I'm sure that they can and probably will use Donkey or sorry, K Rule now, which is crazy. That's amazing.
3: Right. And, you know, sort of the, the surreal thing in that regard is for years and years, it had been sort of a, a beating drum among the fans, and particularly some K fans, is that, like the Donkey Kong series, it's Western. He prefers Fire Emblem and Kid Icarus, yada, yada. So to have it come out that reportedly he was the one who called Dibs on reviving the character and bringing new life to him, you know, that's such a remarkable turnaround that, you know, we never could have seen coming, honestly. No, right. definitely not.
0: My, my personal speculation, and I have no real reason to think this other than just my feeling of how this went down. My personal speculation here is that um sakurai looked at smash 4 and thought okay well in brawl i kind of finished off all of the main nintendo all-stars so i'm just i can only kind of get weird with it with some more off-the-wall suggestions things i just kind of personally want um i mean i don't know that that is the case but it kind of read that way and after the smash ballot he might have had a a a change of heart and thinking that like hey maybe we didn't get all of the all-stars maybe there's like a few more and if that is the philosophy for picking characters in super smash brothers ultimate i'm all the way here for it i i think that is the optimal way that they should be going about getting new characters in this game
2: Well, yeah, I I think K. Rool and Ridley certainly qualify as older Nintendo All-Stars that haven't been included up until this point. I mean, Ridley had cameo appearances as a a boss, but Sakurai kind of had a change of heart. I don't know whether that was... He came to a decision for himself, or perhaps Namco Bandai, who was reportedly developing Metroid Prime 4. Maybe they kind of nudged him along and said, Sakurai, maybe we should include Ridley, because he's going to have an appearance in Metroid Prime 4. Maybe, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, I mean... Ridley and K. Rool are both in. Now we have Inkling. I mean, they're more of a more of a recent all-star. But yeah. certainly, I'd certainly count them as an all-star. And then we have Simon Belmont, who's a a legacy Nintendo pick from the NES era who represents an iconic franchise. So I think certainly, uh, in terms of the choices they've made so far, I think they're definitely more geared towards that all-star moniker, as we've seen with uh, in Super Smash Bros. Brawl and Melee, rather than in Smash 4, which was more of like a... As you said, it seemed more of like Sakurai's personal choices.
3: mm mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. One attitude I saw, especially after Smash 4, is that there's kind of like this false dilemma. A character can either be popular, or they can be unique. You know, if, if we choose nothing but the characters that the fans are requesting, that would be boring and predictable, and so we should want those characters to not make it in so as to stay surprised and excited. I think this game is sort of proving that that doesn't hold true. You can put in those characters. You can maybe have some surprises too. I mean, Castlevania, it's, it's a well-known series, but before uh, our friend Vergerbin, it's not as though he was on everybody's list. And I think he was a pleasant surprise. Oh, yeah. And then you have King playing and Ridley and K. Rule and, you know, in, in a number of ways, you could say you saw them coming. Ridley less so, given uh, all the history and baggage with him, but I think they're exciting people, and they're going to be unique. I think that's a big takeaway we can have from the reveal so far.
0: Yeah, the Inkling seems especially unique in a, from a gameplay perspective. She has the, uh, the the paint and everything that, or I guess the ink, not the paint, uh, as <laughs> Nintendo has been pretty consistent upon saying don't don't tell them that it's paint. They'll get really mad at you. Um, <laughs> Um, so no, I want to talk I, about you guys, but, um, where you, where's your guys' origin, where did you, why did you start the Kremlin campaigner Twitter account?
3: I was the one who first started the account, Eric joined on, I believe it was early on in the ballot, we needed somebody else to help me out basically. And it, the account started, it was in the middle of 2014, it was actually before the 3DS released and we definitively knew that K. rule was not in that it was just sort of in a spell of pessimism where I, where there was a lot of leaks saying you know he's not going to be in he's going to be a stage boss he's going to be in the sister trophy whatever and anyhow i figured it was good to preemptively start raising awareness for the character we didn't know what dlc would entail at that time or even if there would be any but we figured, you know why why not give it a shot just uh, i made some kind of 10 minute wordpress website outlining you know good parts of the character why fans like him and pr- prior to that, I should say I had been, for about two years, serving as the uh, de facto leader of the K rules Kremlin cutthroats thread on the Smashboards. Um, not necessarily. I say de facto. I-, I post frequently. You know, that's the extent. Yeah, it. Okay, I-, yeah. I kept a list of everybody who said, "I want to be named as a K rule supporter." Eventually, the list got so big, several hundred people, that. Every time I tried to update it in the original post, it would crash it and I couldn't update it anymore. So I kind of <laughs> yeah. had to just be, uh, you know, a little less formal about it. But that was a fun time. It was a fun community. It transcended uh, just liking this cartoon crocodile. It became, you know, a big amalgamation of every of DK fans of every stripe. And it was really a fun thing to witness, I thought.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I, I I've been following you guys. Um just your your whole campaign for a while now and this is it's really impressive to me how unified it is for just I mean you can kind of boil it down to just people that like a fictional guy (laughs) we we just like one guy but it really seems organized and and, and it seems very sincere and and, uh, optimistic and hopeful Um, I, I, I love the I love the approach
2: well, regarding the organization, I think that was one of our biggest advantages going into the ballot. because as Thomas touched upon, he uh, he was the original creator of the account back in 2014, after the, the 3DS version came out, and we knew the final roster, and K-Roll wasn't in. So he kind of preemptively uh, started campaigning just in case there were to be DLC, or maybe Retro Studios would be looking at the account, and that would influence their decision to bring back K-Roll. So that was really like a huge advantage because by the time the ballot started, we already had the infrastructure in place to start campaigning basically immediately as soon as the ballot went live. And we already had hundreds of dedicated followers, which, I mean, that greatly expanded throughout the ballot. We we now have, I believe, 1,700 followers, which, I mean, it may not seem like a lot, but a lot of our followers are very loyal and they follow us religiously almost in that they... They basically retweet and like everything we post. So a lot of our tweets get a lot of exposure, even though we may not have, you know, th- tens of thousands of followers. We, w- For a, a smash uh, advocacy group, that's a lot of followers.
0: Yeah, th- yeah I, I would say that is. And it's not just really the number of followers that you have directly. Um, these kinds of posts are retweeted to a mass audience often uh, where they will be picked up by just anyone who's thinking about characters for Smash, even if they're not thinking about this character specifically. So, um, I want to talk about Smashboards. Um, What is your relationship with the website Smashboards?
3: 2008, it was a few months after Brawl's release. Um yeah, you know, I, I was interested in discussing newcomer candidates for Smash 4 at the time. I was also a, a frequent participant in the uh the make your series of competitions. Uh for the uninitiated, basically you map out the attacks and play style in depth for any character of your choosing, whether that be cave rule, whether that be Spider-Man, whether that be Appeal from uh, Dragon Ball Z. Um <laughs> uh, Map it out. I ended up over the course of uh, several years, I was participating, uh, making a move set not just for k Rule but for every one of his individual uh, alternate costumes—King, Captain, Baron—and uh, it, it was a fun experiment in thinking of, you know, what this guy could bring to the to the crossover series. Uh, as far as character speculation at the time, uh, it was up into a community. I would say it was maybe less organized than what how we would think of it now. You know, you had the general speculation thread before the game was announced. The game was announced in 2011 very informally, and then a year later um, they opened up the character speculation boards. That's when I decided to pounce on the opportunity for a K. rule thread, knowing that the one in Brawl had kind of been a little bit more slapdash. And in fact, the previous one had been authored by a detractor who wasn't so much saying, this is why he should be in the game. It was saying... You know why should he be in the game? We have Bowser. Uh, what could he bring? I, I just jumped on that and then flesh it out over time. Um, I think one thing to touch upon, we we did a little bit earlier in terms of Sakurai realizing there still are all stars left. Fan mm-hmm. desires seem to be answered in somewhat of a staggered way. in that the we learn about each smash game at least a year or so after the design document has already been finalized and they've locked the characters into place for ease of development. I, I, I somewhat cynically referred to it as shouting into the void after release. Basically, in supporting a character, we are supporting them for any given Smash game's sequel. Necessarily sure. know that at the time of four, but I think that you know the activism so-called we were able to put in place for four the ballot and i think we're seeing the fruits of that bear out now
2: yeah my relationship with smash personally isn't probably not as as extensive as uh, thomas's i uh actually joined the website for the first time i believe in 2013 2014 around the time smash 4 was announced so i could participate in the speculation scene for that game but i mean prior to that i had a presence in other online communities for years i was uh, part of game neogaf I, uh, I mean, I've been around since the pre, pre-Brawl pre era posting about Smash, back when that game was titled uh, Super Smash Brothers Revolution. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I joined on Smashboards in 2014. I uh, I quickly befriended B Koopa, or B Koopa, sorry, Thomas. <laughs> B Koopa on Smashboards. That was his username on Smashboards. So we, we became quick friends. I befriended others as well. Um, During the speculation scene for Smash 4, we actually created a a Skype group as well, like a Skype chat where we discussed K. roll and we speculated with each other and occasionally had calls, which was kind of nice. And from there, that's kind of how the Twitter account got set up. It was Thomas who decided on setting it up, and a few of us followed him and retweeted all the tweets, and uh, it caught on fairly quickly. We got, I think it took us like one or two days to get 200 followers, so... There was I mean there's there's always been a lot of pent-up demand for K-roll whether it's on smash or game or neogav or 4chan or what have you I mean he's he's an iconic character who's been around for years and I think I think our efforts have finally paid off sure. I think yeah it's they've certainly paid off I think the big thing for us is that th- this is this is unprecedented. I can't think of something else like this ever happening for any other video game, whether it's a fighting game or a- I can't I can't think of an instance where hundreds and thousands of fans gather together to rally behind bringing back a character who was I mean basically removed from his series for no reason. Something like this, I think is it's unprecedented and that's what's so so amazing about it and so surreal. I still haven't <laughs> it's still just hard to believe that after all these years and after the fat hundreds of hours we put into this it's it's finally paid off. Yeah, we had a
3: character in a unique situation where they've been sort of a recurring series staple and then just without much explanation aside from does he really need to come back? He stopped coming back. So we, you know, we took the opportunity upon ourselves and you know, here we are. I think probably the closest equivalent you could point to might be the Koopalings. But even then, that was hardly some Koopaling campaign. It was a number of message board fans saying, God, I hate Mario Sunshine because they have this Bowser Jr. guy in there. And <laughs> I would love to see the Koopalings back someday. <laughs> and, you know, down the road, they, they put them in New Super Mario Bros. Wii, and uh, the rest is history.
2: Yeah, there wasn't some like vocal campaign to bring back the Koopalings. If anything, the decision was probably spearheaded by like Mia himself because he was the one who created them.
0: So and as we all
2: know he didn't create K rule.
0: Right, yeah. Uh so I I have a pet theory about Smashboards and I don't maybe I'm giving it too much credit, but I'm nearly 99% sure that Smashboards is now a major deciding factor in who gets in Smash Brothers. Um I if, think it's certainly
2: possible. If I mean there've there been online... reports
0: if you're trying to find like which characters are desired, which characters are being talked about, that is where you go. That that is where you would you would find that out. Like I w- I would imagine at least for the English speaking crowd, if you're trying to find out, "Hey, who in Smash or, like who do people want?" um you go there. And I I think characters like the heavily fan demanded characters from before Smash Brothers 4, um, like an Animal Crossing representative and Mega Man were probably so ubiquitous that that was everywhere. But I wonder if Ridley really would have picked up to the extreme critical mass that it did if it wasn't for the fact that the Ridley thread on Smashboards was always the, the, the biggest and the most controversial and the most talked about. And then K rule right after Ridley, um, you know it. it it's interesting. I, I wonder if it's not, if it wasn't for that website specifically, would we have a completely different roster than we have now?
2: I, I think that's certainly an interesting question because, uh, as I was about to say, I think there have been reports that Treehouse members like Nate Bildorf have uh, have like secret accounts on Smashboards that they've they've lurked with. I mean, I don't. I certainly don't think Sakurai himself is viewing it. But um, one one source within the Treehouse was saying that the Treehouse members occasionally relay info to uh, Nintendo of Japan and Sakurai and oh, yeah. let him know which characters are highly demanded. So I, I I certainly think that theory is probably accurate. I mean, Ridley was. There have been various different fan polls over the years. Ridley not necessarily didn't necessarily win any of them. But his presence on Smash boards was certainly, I mean, certainly big enough to be noticed by the Smash team.
3: Sure. Yeah. Right. To clarify, uh, it was on NeoGath in 28 after Brawl's release. Nate Bieldorf, uh posted that, you know, we're selling to be effective. You know, we're watching. You know, it's, it's, it's fun to stay up for Japan time with you guys. Recently, there was a Reset Era poster who went to, I believe it was Comic-Con. He got to... Speak with J.C. at the Treehouse. He effectively learned that the Treehouse members are in semi-regular communication with Sakurai. He likes to ask them who would count as a big deal among Western fans, and they relay that information to them as best they can. You know, if I'm a, if I'm to don my tinfoil hat a little bit, I would not be surprised if their own personal preferences were to leak over into that just a little bit. I mean, oh yeah. Say just hypothetically, they were to want Dixie more so than K rule, you know, they might maybe not relay how much of a big deal K rule would have been in comparison. You know, not to not to level accusation. That that's one hypothetical out of potentially many. But you can see how that's potentially an imperfect system, and we think probably the ballot would have filled in the gaps.
0: With how close IGN is to Nintendo of America, to put on an even thicker tinfoil hat. um... You wonder like how how influenced that opinion that they're sending over to Sakurai is by just a few people, because really there's there's some critical tastemakers over at IGN that uh, have have kind of influenced the discussion of what is a classic and what isn't for for years sure. now.
2: Yeah, and there was that uh, right I think was it was a Matt right. Kessness, you know one of the one of the reviewers for IGN, was like. In his uh, returns review, he said something along the lines of, "Oh, thank goodness the Kremlings and the Kongs are gone."
0: Yeah, we're they they were not a fan of Rare's Donkey Kong treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Mass. So moving on from K Rule, we we have this huge Twitter account. What are we doing with it? what What does the Kremlin campaign campaign for now?
2: Well, I briefly entertained the idea of changing the account name to like brought back K Roll to like celebrate <laughs> the fact that he's back. But I mean, other than like continue advocating for the character and just showing our followers how great he is and retweeting fan art, I mean, th- there isn't that much we can do because now that he's back, I think, I mean, I think his inclusion in the next Donkey Kong game is ine- inevitable. I, Honestly, cannot envision a scenario where they release another Donkey Kong game after Smash Ultimate and k Rule's not in it. i I literally can't. i I just can't. But I mean, we there's still, I mean, I guess there's still unfinished business to do until he's back in that series as well. So for now, I mean, we might as well just stick around and continue doing what we're doing. Our official description
3: after the review, I said this was the official Bring Back K Rule account. Now he's back. So we'll stick around to show off everything great about DK's number one foe. I think for the time being, that's a acceptable goal. We yeah. have our Discord channel, which kind of doubles as a social channel for uh, all fans of the character and of Donkey Kong. It can also double as a competitive channel once the game is announced. We have K Rule mains coming out going to tournaments. That is cool. That's now. something to look forward to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's not necessarily going to convert into any sort of other campaign, so to speak. We've had a few people reach out first for advice. You know, I want to kind of push this character. What would you recommend? I personally have tried to offer offer pointers as best I can, recognizing that I think this is lightning in a bottle. I don't think it's transferable necessarily.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But you know, just be be a good person, friend, whatever. Um, and the other thing is, you know, it's kind of almost a time capsule if you look back through kind of how the tweets have evolved over time. Um, I think it has value in remaining up for that uh, reason too.
2: Yeah, exactly. Especially for archival purposes for alone.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can't think of any other character that this approach necessarily would apply to. Um, because with this one, it, it seems very clearly that once they realized how popular he was, they were down to put him in, where everything else is, it, it seems like they kind of, maybe the fans are overstating some sort of popularity or Nintendo understands it and they're just kind of sidestepping it in the case of maybe Toad, Toad, I would say, is probably the most popular character in Smash Brothers that isn't or, or, sorry, that Nintendo has that is not in Smash Brothers at this point. Um, and I don't see him ever being in Smash Brothers, except maybe Captain Toad. That's a tangent, though. Um, looking forward to Smash Ultimate, What is there anything else we hope to see? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> Well, well I, don't I mean, other than well, like, you know the, the Discord, usual but Donkey Kong was... universe
2: characters like Banjo and Dixie, yeah. um, I mean, I've always been a huge advocate of Rayman. I love the Rayman series. I wouldn't mind something like Crash Bandicoot, although I think he has a snowball's chance in hell of happening, at least in the base roster. I mean, I could see him hypothetically being included as in DLC. It but seems that's about like it. the
0: bar for DLCs a lot, if not lower, it's just different. It. Like different characters are considered for DLC. Yeah, I, I
2: think DLC. I mean, certainly with DLC, we don't have the rules of the design document. So when the when the roster for a Smash game is solidified, it's usually like three or four years before it comes out. So a lot can happen in that time, and that's usually where we see DLC playing catch up, like what we saw with uh, Corrin being included in Smash uh, Smash Four DLC. I think certainly Springman and Xenoblade 2 characters like Rex and Pyra have the highest chance of being included as in DLC due to the not only the high fan demand, but the fact that they came out just soon after the, uh, the design document was basically finished. So uh, characters we've seen within the past two or three years are certainly the ones to look out for uh, regarding DLC. I also think no matter what, uh, the DLC is going to be kind of different
3: terrain this time. Last time it was during the dying gasps of the Wii U. Mm-hmm. so maybe that would have affected their approach in tending toward either popular cut veterans or big splashy new series we can point to to say, now Cloud can fight Mario and Link, now Bayonetta can fight Mario and Link Typically healthy console um, so that might allow them to be a little bit more flexible, stretch their wings with the choices they do uh, I don't know, I, at this point kind of wanting anything for the game is a force concept because k rule was so dominant in that aspect for so long i think it would be really cool to see dixie as an exo- echo character i think in terms of specials crom has indicated that they can kind of pick and choose you know the moves that they pull from to some extent so i think she could maybe pull donkey kong's up special keep diddy's neutral special with her bubble gun and his side special and maybe dk's down special too with her hair ground pound. I think that would be a pretty faithful harkening back to Tropical Freeze allow a really popular character to show up advantage of the fact that you can borrow assets from Diddy as a pretty easy inclusion.
0: Right, the Yeah. It it seems like the main difference between a clone in the past and an echo in the the new Echo Fighter system is that their properties need to be the same with uh their their weight and their speed and their jump height and their jump speed and their falling speed and all that stuff uh that that's all the same exactly from echo characters which works out because in donkey kong country 2 where you have diddy and dixie on the screen doing the same stuff at the same time uh they are the same speed and they are the same size and all of that stuff just a few things are different really between the two characters so i could see that happening i that would probably be my most wanted echo character um, yeah. And then Miss Pac-Man, obviously Miss Pac-Man. After that, Miss
2: Pac-Man would be a great choice as an echo. <laughs>
0: yeah,
3: uh, I agree with
2: uh, with uh, so the one thing with Miss Miss Pac-Man is that due to the fact that Midway created her, I don't know if there's like some you know copyright shenanigans preventing her from being in a costume, or I don't know. I I I think she would be a great choice personally. I like Miss Pac-Man. I like Miss Pac-Man better than the original Pac-Man. So, I mean, I'd certainly be happy if she got in. I think. I think we're probably going to get a lot of DLC. Like Thomas said, the Switch ecosystem is much healthier, so I think DLC will will be more of a long-term commitment this time. Um, as for me personally, like I said, I there are a few characters I'd like to see, like more rare characters, or Rayman, or Crash. But overall, like I got what I wanted, so I just want other people to get what they want. I'm already happy. I want Sakurai to make as many people happy as possible. That's,
0: uh, right. Taking that's a perspective.
2: Yeah.
3: Taking ourselves out of the equation just a little bit, we agreed that at this point, their comfort in showing both Ridley and K. Rule with four months until release, you know, makes us sort of wonder, do they have anything bigger coming down the pipeline? I know you have pointed out in one of the channels that it's not necessarily precedent that they end on some big splashy reveal, which is very true. I, I, we don't contest that in any way, but... You know, this game, it it already defies some convention. You know, they show all the veterans at E3 right out of the gate in the course of three minutes. So, you know, if they are to continue this kind of drumbeat of popular characters, who could really compete with Banjo for that spot? Sure. It's, It's Banjo or they resurrect the Waluigi Assist Trophy in my book. And I think we know which of the two is more likely.
0: Yeah, in, in terms of things that would really make that big of a splash, I, I'm thinking about characters that are very popular in Smash prediction communities that I don't think would have the same sort of presence in a trailer um, as the ones that we've already seen. And maybe that just doesn't matter. Maybe I'm just making up criteria that they don't care about at all. But I'm trying to think of like how exciting really is a Bandana D trailer? I understand the character, I understand the desire, but like, how does that play out? You know, how does that? No, play out I in completely the agree.
2: Media? That's why I entertain the possibility of them including Bandana D as like a, a hybrid of Meta Knight and Kirby, so they can like reuse Kirby's frame and give him like, like a spear, like kind of like a sword move. Mm, but okay. no, I I honestly can't envision. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe uh, they have something amazing in the works, but I, I have a difficult time envisioning how they can make a bandana, D CGI trailer, really hype people up. Chance,
3: honestly, the next reveal we get, be that in some general direct in September or some website stream, I think it could be maybe a breather episode, one of these more middle of the pack characters. I'm yeah. thinking somebody like Incineroar as the Pokemon obligatory sure. newcomer, maybe Isabel is an Echo character. I think they might want to go for those guys next and then save the Big Bang at the very end. Be just speculative, speculative but you know.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of like Banjo would do it. Shovel Knight might have done it, but that's been deconfirmed. Um, just characters that a lot of people have been talking about or asking for. It really seems like they're covering their bases. Uh, I, like we were talking about how Brawl didn't actually get all of the all stars. And I'm thinking at the end of this game you might have them. You might have all of like the really high up all stars. Um there are a yeah, lot of I, I characters, agree but that. we're approaching that number.
2: I think the Waluigi fans would contest. <laughs> but Waluigi's other than that, I mean like... I, I completely
0: agree. Yeah. I think with Waluigi <laughs> you need to have an obvious character for the next game at all times, I suppose. Um, and that has that is really becoming like the whatever Smash Six is, Waluigi will be, will be there. I it feels pretty likely.
3: The, the other thing with Banjo, you know, Sakurai has commented on him briefly way back in the Melee days. It was something to the effect of about how adult circumstances kept him out back during the Rare era. Um, so he's at least crossed his mind once. Mm -hmm. and at least in the West, Banjo was neck and neck with K. rule and a number of the fan polls we were seeing. Not sure how that would translate over to Japan or Europe, and all fan polls are uh, slapdash to some extent. It's a few hundred people in a game that millions of people are going to buy. K. rule has indicated that maybe consistent high performances can be predictive of true popularity. Uh, So, you know, Banjo may or may not hold up in that regard. Certainly... To, you know, the idea of a Nintendo-Microsoft partnership. You know, hell, they could they could partner his reveal with an NES Mini reveal, have his games on that, um, or N64 reveal.
0: They could. They, I, I could definitely see that happening. Um, if we were to go off of the idea that consistent high performance is predictive, the, the next highest one might be, it could be Banjo-Kazooie or Isaac. Right from Golden Sun, is is there yeah. anyone else that hits that like high bar in consistent high performance? I think levels? Isaac certainly,
2: but the, the only difference between a character like Isaac and K. Rule is that although Isaac is very highly requested, it's much easier to bring back a character like K. Rule in the next Donkey Kong game versus reviving a completely dormant series. That Camelot is pretty much abandoned after the the most recent Golden Sun game bombed financially, but. I think after Isaac, I think Bandana Waddle Dee is up there, although I'm personally not invested in the character and don't think he's super exciting. I recognize that he does have a huge fan base, especially in Japan, so I, could see, I can one conceivably
3: see him getting in. To dawn a little bit last night in one of the channels was it's not as though speculation and specific amounts of fan desire, they're always going to remain constant. You know, as you continue to address every single fan request there is, you know, eventually there's going to be kind of amp of just surprise me. I'm fine with whatever you do. We already saw that a little bit before. You know, eventually you're always going to have some character demand to some extent. But, you know, if they consistently keep addressing these requests, it's just going to get smaller and smaller. And, uh, you know, there's not necessarily always going to be the next K rule, the next Ridley, given the history that each of them had with them.
2: Yeah, the K. Rool situation was completely unique and, and unprecedented.
0: Yeah, I, I, um, I have some characters that I think, hey, these are important, these are top-tier Nintendo history characters. But then also, when Sakurai announces something like Wii Fit Trainer, I get really excited. I really like that kind of character as well. And that would... Maybe necessarily come at the cost of the actual all-star I had in mind, and I, I think it's an interesting sort of balance to see how Sakurai reconciles that. Because as far as Smash Ultimate is concerned, um, there do, there doesn't seem to be those at all. Like if if you go back to Melee, that had Ice Climbers, and that was kind of that thing. Brawl, let's see. Um, I suppose bringing that pick. Uh, bringing back pit at that kind at that time is wow. a bit on that level but also bringing up snake that was also confirmed right away and we fit trainer was confirmed right away with smash ultimate the first few characters that were confirmed were not um were, were, were not at that level at all they, they were all just really desired sensical characters to include.
2: Well, you could sort of make the case that Simon Belmont qualifies as like the obligatory NES retro revival rep, in that he's based on his design from the original Castlevania. And the Castlevania series itself has been... I mean, I think the last release was was Lords of Shadow 2, that was years ago. But Simon Belmont himself has been absent for quite a while. So, I mean, I guess he could qualify, but so far we haven't really seen something akin to Mr. Game & Watch or Rob or anything mm-hmm.
3: like hugely surprising. Exactly. I think that change is sort of pretty, you know, it, it came as a shock to a number of people. On Smashboards. there's what's called the Rate Their Chances thread. There's a new character and people say their reasons, they think they're in or out, and kind of attribute an arbitrary numerical value to it. Um, the aggregate of results, uh, Takumaro uh, from, uh, I can't pronounce the name, I don't want to butcher it, but Takumaro, the Assist Trophy, uh, from Smash 4, he was atop of that list by a pretty sizable margin,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and he got kind of shut down early on as another assist of would come back. Um, maybe the patterns we thought applied always in the Smash game, this one is just going to throw him out the
2: window. Yeah, so that that potentially means that we may not get a new Pokémon character this time. Other patterns may be broken, who knows.
0: Yeah, I originally predicted that there would not be a new Pokemon or Fire Emblem character, um, except perhaps Echoes, because I don't know how to predict Echoes at all. They just seem to have whatever they want to do for Echoes. But um, I I assumed that when you're bringing back Pokemon Trainer with Squirtle and Ivasaur, and that you have a Kanto remake for Pokemon coming out this year... um, You're good. You're good on new Pokemon representatives. And it doesn't seem like the internet agrees with me. Incineroar seems to be the dominant prediction there. Um, Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) We'll see how that goes. I really couldn't guess what they're doing with Pokemon. Uh, I I mean, I only assume it's also Incineroar because of leaks that seem to suggest that being the case. But the two main leakers for this game seem to have been I don't know, something happened to both of them. They're not they don't seem to be like at the same level of leaking as they are anymore. One yeah, of became a Pokemon weird Twitter account and the other just stopped talking. Definitely. Yeah.
2: I think the thing with Pokemon is that the design the rules of the design document don't necessarily apply. Because as we found out, Sakurai apparently approached a game freak about Regarding Greninja before X and Y was like as soon as the game was like being developed. Mm-hmm. So I think, I mean, I could conceivably see them skip Pokemon altogether, or include a character from Sun and Moon, or even include another Generation One representative. I honestly have no idea what to expect with Pokemon. Um,
3: it's one of those series where they can pencil in new Pokemon on the design document.
2: Yeah, they... exactly
3: just because the series is that monumental
2: yeah I,
0: i would assume like before we learned or before e3 i suppose i would have assumed that that exactly happened but with how few newcomers there seem to be or at least there are hinted at being um that sounds less likely to me but still still probably likely i don't know Um, it's hard to say it in the past, there's always been these like go to, okay, let's wait for little Mac. Let's wait for, uh, you know, in brawl, um, Wario was just the most obvious choice. Uh, there aren't those now, like, there really doesn't seem like there's any obvious choices. Every single choice I could come up with has some major form of detraction that um, I I could also throw at it.
3: And even that, that was the case with uh, Ridley and K. Rule too. I mean, I I think I made some comment to you to the effect of, you know, every character has something going against them, but there have to be some newcomers. Some newcomers are going to have to defy those sort of albatrosses around them. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where they get to triumph over over the shortcomings, and where the shortcomings might bring them down ultimately.
0: Yeah, I think for most characters, with the exception of possible echoes, I've like kind of estimated them at below fifty percent uh, probability. But because there has to be some newcomers, I'm still predicting them, even though I put them at like forty or thirty percent probability, uh, which is weird. It's a weird world. Um, so we're about to wrap up. Uh, do you have any final thoughts for our audience? Anything about K rule you'd like to tell them? I mean, you don't have to, I, I put you on the spot. <laughs> Sorry. That's no, on me. No,
2: I'm just, I'm just thinking, um, <laughs> I mean, other than expressing how grateful we are for our fans and our supporters over the years, I mean, there's not really much more I'd like to cover. I mean, we've, We've kind of delved into the creation of the account and uh you know all the the work we put behind it i think maybe discussing some of the more notable moments as a campaign we've had over the years that might be something the audience would be interested in hearing about like i think one of the most monumental decisions or uh, moments for us was when steve males followed us on twitter the creator of k Rule and banjo and dixie um he was a huge supporter of ours, and th- thank you to Steve for for, for all the exposure you, you've given us over the years. It, it means so much. And I'm, I'm sure he's just as excited as we are that K. Roll is back, because considering he designed the character. Um, we got the Michael Kelbaugh follow pretty early on, the uh, CEO of Retro Studios. That was pretty exciting, because we thought, well, if, if the CEO of Retro Studios recognizes that there's a demand for K. Roll to come back, then surely K. rule re- will return in the inevitable... Tropical or seemingly inevitable tropical free sequel. So we got Steve Mails on board, Michael Kelbaugh on board. We had at one point we had Platonic retweet a bunch of stuff that was during the ballot. Their support was was very nice. It was, I think that was maybe the defining defining moment of the ballot when they kind of quasi campaigned for us along with Banjo. I think that may have helped significantly.
0: That is awesome. Also
3: close, uh, we're working on a thank you card slash digital letter to Sakurai in English and Japanese. We're still working out some logistics, but I, I gave this invitation on the conversation, too. I can do it here also. Uh, for anyone who wants to put their name on that sort of online list, you can either D- DM us on Twitter at rule, or you know I, I can accept uh, private messages on Smashboards at bkuba 666 as well. We're happy to add you on. 'Cause we figure Sakurai to his credit he deserves all the thanks in the world for seeing that fan demand and acting. And yeah. Throwing it under the bus, He could have let the idea that we were some vocal minority stand. He decided not to. He wanted to answer our wishes and for that uh, we want to let him know how
0: grateful we are. Throw my name on that. I'd love to put my my name on that as well. For sure absolutely well thank you so much for being on the podcast and thank you again for thank you so much for the character of king okay i'm gonna throw it back to future mitchell see you later thanks past mitchell okay so james we have a listener right in as we do every episode (laughs) yes yeah Uh, so if you've never listened to the show before uh, we just have so much mail coming in all the time that we uh, we have to sort through it and pick the best one, um, the best one out of all of the ones we got. Um, and, but but we do it because we we love our fans. So here's the uh, here's the listener write-in that we want to read this week, um, and maybe maybe we'll uh, come back to it next week and see if we can uh, like give some advice to the person that sent it in, and just uh, see how that goes. So here we are. Greetings to you. My name is Heather Ten Brook from Atlanta, Georgia. I am thirty-eight years old, and my husband William Brook is forty-six. On September seventeenth, two thousand sixteen, I was declared the winner of two hundred forty-six thousand seven hundred sixty-four one hundred. Sorry, I read that wrong. Two hundred forty-six million seven hundred sixty-four thousand one hundred thirty-one dollars jackpot. My husband and I have voluntarily decided to donate the sum of $550,000 to your email ID, this being part of our 2016 Millionaire Donation Project to financially support seven lucky people and ten charity organizations from different parts of the world. There is a link to my page, which I will be sending along my next email for your verification and to clear your doubt. Best regards, Heather Tenbrook. So there's a lot there. There's a lot there we can talk about, James.
1: Look, um... um. I I was doubtful until Heather really called out the fact she's going to clear my doubt with that Mm -hmm. next email, which is great. That's very kind. Um, She did send a second email. Yeah. And Um, I'm, I'm looking forward (laughs) to the fact that we, um, you know, that, that this can be our full-time job now, Mitchell. I mean, how great is that? Like, You know, we don't need to start a Patreon, really. We've obviously got very... we got fans with deep pockets. So thank you, so Heather. The,
0: <laughs> the second email Heather sent was word for word the exact same email that she sent the first time, including another promise to clear our doubts with the, <laughs> the next email. Um, <laughs> and then an, another email did not come. Uh, oh, so Heather. thank you, Heather Tenbrook, for your participation, but I'm afraid this might not work out. Also, you've written 10 lowercase before your last name um which makes me think that it's similar to like a last name that starts with van like ludwig van beethoven something like that but um it's the word 10 like the number 10 and i've never seen that before and i don't think that's a real thing i don't think that's a thing people do to their last name um because that's a number (laughs) if you want to be like heather and you want to write into the show you can do so at podcast at superjumpmagazine.com again that's podcast at superjumpmagazine.com james (laughs) uh, are you ready for some after school activities
1: I'm just going to recommend, uh, after all that totally non-technical discussion about this new Nvidia card or, or cards, um, I'm going to recommend checking out Digital Foundry. Um, that they're, they're, as you know, they're one of my go-to YouTube channels because they're amazing with everything they do. Um, and they have a, they have a really, really awesome video about these RTX GPUs where they. They definitely talk the technology, but they really kind of delve into, you know, how would a developer work with this and what does it mean for games? And they, they have a lot of visual examples as they're talking. So it'll give you a, a really good understanding of what this is all about.
0: That sounds great. I, I'm definitely interested in looking into that, uh, especially cause I'm not sure I completely understand the ramifications of what a new video card can do. Uh, to yep. the gaming industry. I'm, I'm excited to see if uh, if this could be something that could be part of the next console generation as well as PCs. Because um, if, if so, that, that, that would really impact um, the, the, the ceiling potential for games moving forward. Uh, mine is develop a specialized skill. Um, still, I mean, think about video games first and foremost, because this is a video game podcast. Uh, There's so many things you can learn how to do. You can learn how to speedrun. You can learn how to get better at a competitive game. Uh, You can learn how to do or go through a difficult game and complete it 100%. You can uh, get really good at something and be impressive all on your own. And I think that uh, it might be a little while until the next episode. I'm not going to promise anything this time. Uh, So you'll have a lot of time to do it. Uh, and that that segues into our announcements. This time we have one announcement, and this is that this has been the finale of our second season of the Super Jump podcast. Uh, we're working on some kinks that, when ironed out, will make the show a more cohesive, personal, and regular experience for both you and us. Um, when you hear us again, it will be season three, and hopefully we uh, will have a much more polished show. Um, i want to put this out there we're looking for um a third co-host of the podcast we have experienced a problem where uh sometimes james or myself will have to delay our recording of the episode um like a couple hours and then the other person can't make that or they can't be flexible enough to do it on a different day of the week and that's just the way things are with us uh, if you are listening to the show right now and you have always wanted to be a regular podcast co-host, uh, and really the, the barrier to entry here is a knowledge of video games and a working microphone, um, reach out. Reach out uh, at podcast@superjump.com I'm not going to guarantee that if you ask us, we'll, we'll take you in, but we're definitely looking for uh, more people and fans of the show would be the, the, the first place we would look. So um, that, that's, that's something to look forward to. Uh, that's also going to be a big motivator in getting Season 3 off of the ground. Uh, we, I really would like to do weekly shows. Uh, a weekly episode would be just the, 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 the best way we could move forward. Um, because we've been seeing numbers dropping when um, I, I really don't think they should. Um, iTunes removes our our search engine or our search engine power if we haven't released an episode in a certain number of weeks uh and we're, we're just having a really hard time getting stuff out every week uh this would be it would just be expedited if we have more people working on it it would be more difficult to do um but we're, it's it's something that i'm as the editor of the show certainly up for um our theme song for this season has been Battle Against a Clueless Foe by Shane Meza off of his Mother 4 soundtrack. Thank you so much for letting us use that song, Shane. Uh, I mean, you don't know that we were doing it, uh, but you did put your song up for a Creative Commons license, which allowed us to do that without asking you, as long as we credit you, which has been fantastic. Uh, also, in, in the same vein as co-hosting the third season of the podcast, we are looking for um, new music. So if you're a musician and you're a fan of the show uh, and you'd like to uh, find some agreement uh, where, where we could use your uh, your music as our theme song or record a special theme song for us. If you're interested in doing that, uh, please reach out. again the email for all of that stuff is podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. That's podcast at superjump magazine.com if we use your music or arts or anything that uh fans design, we're also very open to um compensating you for your work um please remember to subscribe on itunes if you can review us on itunes tell a friend follow us on twitter or super jump uh or super jump magazine pretty much everywhere follow super jump magazine itself on medium and that's been our show thank you so much for listening james you got anything else
1: No, just, yeah, thank thank you everyone for listening, and I hope you look forward to Season 3. And remember, stay stay super. super.